best friends and introverts, welcome back to the You're So Quiet podcast, or welcome if you're joining us for the very first time. As always, I am your host, Chelsea Brown. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week, May 9th through the 15th, and the entire month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I thought it would be a good time to share my own mental health diagnosis, how I got my diagnosis, how it's affected me, and even how it's affected my relationships. But first, and this is even more topical this week, we are going to do a mental health check-in. As I said last week, I'm batching some of these episodes to release while I'm traveling, so I can't really give you my current mental health status, but you can still check in with yourself. If you're new here, we rate our mental health from 1 to 5 at the beginning of each episode, 1 being horrible and 5 being amazing. So, go ahead, check in with yourself. How are you feeling? Is there some self-care thing you've been neglecting? Be honest with yourself and maybe like do that self-care thing now. It'll probably only take a second and you can keep listening to the episode while you do it. Since I can't give my mental health update and I'm not going to lie to you and pretend like this is in real time because it's not, I will give a few self-care ideas that take under a minute for those days that you're just kind of in a funk. Number one, write down or think about five things that you're grateful for. I think this is a really good one for like resetting your perspective. I know that the last couple days I, I've had just like days where I'm like, everything sucks. I hate everything. I hate everyone. I'm done with this. And pausing just to think about the five, even just just five things that you're grateful for is very, very helpful for just a perspective reset. Number two, do one yoga pose. This can be Shavasana, which is laying on your back, just laying flat, breathing. This can be one of the warrior poses. I personally really love wild thing, but I don't recommend getting into that one unless you're warmed up because I have definitely pulled a muscle or two trying to just do it cold. But do one yoga pose and just meditate. And Meditation doesn't have to be this like woo-woo thing. I mean, just focus on your breathing, focus on how your body's feeling, take inventory of what's going on with you and see if you can improve it. Number three, water your plants. (laughs) If you're like me, you're like, oh, that plant's dead. (laughs) Interesting. I actually got a hydroponic garden that waters for me. So I only have to remind myself to do this like once every two weeks. But watering your plants, taking care of something, that always just helps your mental health. Number four, light a candle. I don't know what it is about candles. Maybe it's just me, but it really creates this lovely kind of ambiance situation, and I highly recommend it. Those are just four. I'm sure there are a ton more that you can do that take under a minute, but those are just my four little recommendations. You can also start a new book, but if you're like me, you will get sucked in and it will take a lot more than one minute, which brings us to our book, TV show, or movie of the week. It's going to be a book this week. It is called Beach Read by Emily Henry. I am obsessed and you'll be very surprised when I tell you that this is actually like a romance book. I'm not really a romance reader. I love a good thriller, domestic thriller, fantasy, sci-fi, but romance is really not my thing. But I got this in my book of the month club box 
and I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. I'm sure it'll be fine. I love it. I'm not finished with it yet, but I am like 50% of the way through and know this. I will be breaking my no physical books when traveling rule for this one so I can finish it. I am so, so into it. I love this book. And the only reason I haven't finished it yet is because I have been so busy this week. I have had literally zero time to read. Zero time. I'm very upset about it, but I will be on a plane for four to five hours, so I will have plenty of time. Anyway, (laughs) the basic synopsis of this is a romance writer who no longer believes in love and a literary writer stuck in a rut engage in a summer-long challenge that may just upend everything they believe about happily ever afters. I love how it's written. Very witty, very funny. I love the the idea. I mean, I don't I don't know if the idea is original. This sounds very familiar to me. But in in the same token, it's a familiar concept, but it feels very fresh. It is 100% giving me like really giving me beach read vibes. Like this is something that you would read during a day on the beach. I love it. If you're a romance person, romance reader, highly, highly recommend. Even if you're not, I dare you to pick this thing up and not like it. Genuinely, I'm really, really into it. So, (laughs) on that note, let's talk about my trauma. Let's get into the meat of the episode. I do want to preface this by saying, as always, I am still not a doctor, dietitian, psychiatrist, etc. I am a writer. I just give my opinion. (laughs) Any thoughts presented in this episode are no substitute for medical advice. I also want to give a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about things like depression, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised. So let's start at the beginning. Well, the beginning of my, my depression, which was my teenage years, starting probably when I was 13. I was mm, extremely depressed. I mean, extremely depressed. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. I wore black all the time. I rarely spoke. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, "Mm, I still do those things. (laughs) Is this a sign of depression or is this just my personality? I don't know. But I was genuinely, I was very, very depressed, especially in my early teenage years. But my family kind of seemed to be in denial about this. They felt like it was just, you know, a phase, like teenagers are moody and whatever. But it wasn't just like moodiness for me. It was depression, but I didn't have the language to to say that or to talk about it. The way that I was raised, my parents were very, very strict. I didn't have internet access. I didn't have a phone until, like a cell phone until I think my junior year of high school. So I would be at school. And then when I was at home, I was really cut off from like my friends because they're texting and they're going out and whatever. But my parents are very strict, so I had no phone, no internet access, and I really couldn't go out with my friends. So this, I think, really fostered this depression and made it worse than I think it would have been had I been, like, in a different home environment. So I started cutting for the first time when I was, mm, I was in seventh grade, I think. 
the first time that I harmed myself. And that continued all the way until my early 20s. I think the last time I did was I was 20 years old. I don't like looking back, I did it to try to make myself feel better. And it's kind of a weird thing because I was so depressed that it wasn't even like sadness anymore. It was like numbness. Like I I felt nothing and I just wanted to feel something (laughs) besides despair. So I would physically harm myself, cut myself, and that would temporarily make me feel better. But then it's like a whole thing. Like I have all these marks on my body now. Fast forward just a little bit to high school, my sophomore year, I tried to take my life twice that year, which is like, (laughs) it's not ideal. So before the third time, I was giving like goodbye notes to my friends and one of my friends took it directly to the guidance counselor and as well she should have. I really hated her at the time for that, but in all honesty, she 100% did the right thing, right? This is not like just some cutesy, like, no, she knew that I was serious and she'd known about my attempts prior. um, So she took it directly to the guidance counselor who called my mother. My mother came down to the counselor's office and it was like, it was not a good sitch because my my mom didn't know what to do. The counselor didn't know what to do. She was just like, here, take care of this. And my mom's like, okay, got it. So my mom was actually, at the time, very upset with me. And looking back now, I don't, I don't blame her for that. I don't know what I would do if I found out that, like, this person that I've created is trying to uncreate themselves. <laughs> So I don't blame her for that. However, I think with with time and maybe a different perspective, I know that like she just simply didn't know what to do, so she did nothing. And I I don't resent her for that. I don't really feel anything about that because of where I have ended up today. But I think that her reaction is perfectly normal and it's something that I think would be perpetuated if someone is not educated about mental health things. I, I'm not going to speak for her, but I'm just going to give my, my interpretation of kind of what I think that she was thinking. I thought that, or I think now, <laughs> that she thought that I would be stigmatized forever if I was taken to a mental health facility and if I had done inpatient treatment. And that's perfectly understandable because, uh, frankly, yes, probably. It's really only recently, within maybe the past few years, where mental health has become something that we talk about openly. But from back then, it's like you don't want... A family member to be going through this thing and I don't know how to help you and I don't want you to be stigmatized for the rest of your life so like I don't know what to do you good you good okay but in truth I do wish that I had received help at that time I can't like obviously I can't go back 
in time and change how something turned out. But I can kind of think about how it might have been different, you know, how my life would have been different if I didn't have two more suicide attempts following that day. So as an adult, my coping mechanisms followed me. My self-harm, I haven't done that in almost 10 years, which is kind of crazy to think about. But things like not talking about my emotions, things like stress making me stop eating, those kind of things have just followed me and still follow me to this day. And eventually I was just so sick of being constantly overwhelmed by how I was feeling and I eventually sought therapy. The triggering event that caused me to seek therapy is kind of stupid, but I will share with you guys. So my husband and I were traveling. We were in Africa and this is when Hurricane Harvey hit Texas. We live in Texas. I had nobody, zero people besides my mother, check on me to make sure that we were, like, good. And I hadn't posted anywhere that I was gone. So, to to anyone's knowledge, I was at home in Texas during the hurricane. A hurricane that decimated <laughs> Texas. So, that really hurt my feelings. And then an associate reached out to my husband, like, went through all these gymnastics trying to find a way to reach out to him to make sure that he was okay, but this person has, like, my direct email and phone number and never reached out to me to make sure I was okay. So, that really hurt my feelings and made me feel like I did not matter. So, that made me like threw me way back into my teenage years and I started feeling that kind of suicidal ideation pop back up. So I sought therapy. My first therapist was very typical talk therapy. I freaking hated it. I hated the way that this person would look at me with such pity in her eyes talking about like my trauma and whatever. I hated that. Like, I don't need to talk about it and, like, have someone feel bad for me. Like, I need, (laughs) I need help. Like, I need you to tell me how to manage this. I need to understand what is going on with my brain and my body. Like, I need to get it so I can be a better version of myself. Talking about it is only making me feel worse and is actually making me feel, like, this big when you're looking at me like, I'm so pitiful, you know? So, I stopped going to that therapist. I actually ghosted her. <laughs> actually ghosted her. It just, like, never made a new appointment. My second therapist was more goal-oriented. She was very, I think it's called cognitive behavioral therapy, and it was like, this is what we want to accomplish, and these are the steps that we're going to try to take to get there. And this therapist is actually where I got my diagnosis. It kind of seemed by chance because she only actually stated the diagnosis to my husband when he came in for a session to help him better understand what I was going through. So for my husband, he loves me more than anything. And he was genuinely frightened that I would remove myself from this earth. 
and he would obviously never forgive me for that. So it's it was very important to him to speak to the therapist, and I, obviously I was cool with it too, therapist was fine, to understand what it is that's happening to me, what can he do to make my life better, or what does he need to watch for, what does he need to understand to make this easier. So my actual diagnosis is major depressive disorder coupled with moderate to severe episodes. Honestly, when I first heard the diagnosis, it was kind of a shock to the system because I'd never, like I knew I was depressed, but I didn't know I had major depressive disorder. It was kind of a shock, but in the same token, it's also like, okay, so I have a name for this thing now and it doesn't feel so much like I am a horrible person because for a lot of my life, I felt like I am defective because something is wrong with me. I see all these people so happy and smiling and laughing and going out and doing doing the life thing. And I'm locked in my room, haven't gotten out of my bed in three days. And I've been watching Vampire Diaries on the iPad. You know what I mean? So I thought that there must be something wrong with me. And ironically, naming the thing that is quote unquote wrong with me made it feel much less powerful. Like, all right, cool. So I have this illness over here. It framed it more like, like an illness as opposed to something fundamentally wrong with me. So mixed feelings about it, but overall, I was actually really glad to hear my diagnosis. And I do remember that the therapist at the time my husband was like, so like, what is this called? And she looked at me and she's like, are you fine with me saying this? Because some people don't want to hear the diagnosis. For me, I'm glad she asked, but I, I was too curious to say no, to be perfectly honest. So it was, it was a weird time, but I'm very glad that I know. All of that to say, I am a huge advocate for therapy because I feel like it has dramatically changed my life. I have not always had great therapist experiences, but it's just one of those things. Like for even a primary care doctor, if my primary care doctor isn't doing it for me, if I don't like him or her or whatever, I could just go find another one. It's not that serious. It's not personal. And it kind of feels personal because you're sharing your your innermost thoughts with this person, but it's not personal. So finding someone that really works for you is very, very important. I also think that people are very unwilling to invest in therapy, but it is an investment. And I do want you to think of it like an investment and an investment in yourself and in your future. I have become a much better partner, a much better person, a better coworker, a better creator. I've become all around better because of therapy. If I did not learn these new coping mechanisms, if I had to carry the, the shutting down and the self-harm and the suicidal ideation for the rest of my freaking life, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. It would have been too hard. It, genuinely, it would have been too hard. And like, let's be honest, it's not easy to talk about your emotions. It's not easy to be like, you know what? I'm feeling extremely freaking depressed today. Um, so what am I going to do about it? It made me realize that I am not a victim to this illness, that I do have some control over it. 
I remember I was talking to somebody and they were like, I'm just depressed. I'm like, okay, so what's making you depressed? They're like, it's depression. There's no reason for it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> back it up, girlfriend. <laughs> I did not ask for that attitude. But I am here to tell you that, yes, I, I can... I can say from experience that depression does not always have a reason, but oftentimes it does have a trigger and it does have things that you can do to make yourself feel better. So if people say certain things to me, that's a trigger for me. And what's interesting is that I can identify that as a trigger for me and kind of head off the episode. For me, depressive episodes are weeks or months where I'm just depressed and sometimes I don't even remember those periods which is super super weird and something that no one tells you about depression is that your memory freaking sucks but if I know that something is a trigger for me I can identify like okay that's a trigger so I need to be extra nice to myself I need to be kind to myself I need to really invest in my in my workout routine. I really need to make sure I go outside. I need to make sure that I am creating time for me to rest. I need to do all of these things to make sure that I am okay. And when I framed it as an illness, to me, it's just like, this is my treatment plan. Like, I know what to do now. I'm not overwhelmed by it because I know what to do. And there very well might come a time where I reach a point where I don't freaking know what to do. I am depressed, I'm in an episode, I'm whatever, and I don't know what to do. And I can go seek therapy again. That's the beauty of it. You can go work on your problem and be done. I think everyone thinks also that therapy is this thing you have to do for the rest of your life. Can you do it for the rest of your life? Certainly. Are there therapists who want to keep you as a lifelong client? Yes, absolutely. But if that's not something you want, find someone who's more goal-oriented. And we can say, when you reach this point, when this is true, then we can go ahead and move on. We can part ways amicably. And that's actually what happened with my second therapist that gave me my diagnosis. Is we ended up saying, like, we've reached our goal. You good? You good? And we just parted ways. And I actually have not spoken to her, seen her, heard from her since. But it feels fine. So... Let's say you are where I was, where I felt completely overwhelmed by my emotions, or maybe you have some things that you just want to talk out that you just need to get out of your system, but you don't want to tell a friend because you don't want it to be a whole thing and be dramatic and whatever. You want to talk to a third party. You can always seek a therapist. Just so you know, psychiatrists prescribe medication, psychologists do not. I always get those mixed up, but I looked it up for this. Sometimes you might want to work with both. I personally do not want to be on medication for depression. Do I think that it could help me? Certainly. However, for me personally, I find that I'm able to manage just fine with therapy, coping mechanisms, etc. And that's something that you would be able to determine with your psychologist or psychiatrist or your therapist, counselor, whatever. So for me, medication is not a necessity. Maybe for you it is. And there is no shame. There is no shame in seeking medication with your treatment. If it's what's going to help you, then do it. Just speak to a doctor. If you all are in agreement that this is what's going to be best for you and part of your treatment plan, 
then do it. So all of this being said, the last thing I want to leave you with is actually two things. (laughs) There is no shame in having a mental illness. There is no shame in having a mental illness. I will say it every day of my life if I have to. Mental illness is not a dysfunction. It's not a reflection on you as a person. In the same way that if I sprain my ankle or if I have allergies does not mean that I am a worse person. I'm just a person with those things. You know what I mean? There's no shame in mental illness. Second thing I want to leave you with is the crisis text line. If you are in a place where you just need to talk to someone, if you're just like, I don't know what to do, I need, I just need to talk, but you're not like a talker, you're a texter, I have the crisis text line. You need to text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. It's free in the United States anytime, 24-7. A live trained crisis counselor receives the text and responds. I encourage you to reach out to someone if you are feeling alone, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, any of those things. You can reach out to the text line, you can reach out to a friend, a trusted confidant, but do remember that you are not alone. We got this. We'll be okay. A bad day is not a bad life. So, on that note, we are about at the end of our time together this week. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm not saying or anymore. I am demanding both (laughs) to stay up to date and even participate in future episodes. Follow the podcast on Instagram at your so quiet pod. Y-O-U-R-E so quiet pod. That's all for now. Okay. Love you. Bye.